Uh, welcome to this worship service. Uh, today we started our relationship series, which will include um, small group opportunities, and uh, we'll run off and on for the uh, next uh, seven, eight weeks. Um, as we gather today, let's uh, go to God in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the privilege of gathering. We pray that as we worship you in this time, that we would experience your spirit at work among us. We pray that you'll guide us and shape us. And we pray that you would open our hearts and that we in respond could open our hearts and that the meeting of your spirit and ourselves would transform us more into your likeness. And this we pray in your holy name. Amen. As we gather people, we receive God's word of greeting, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells among us. Amen. There are uh, listed in your bulletin seven, seven different passages that were sent out earlier this week and that will be part of the message and that will be part of your small group discussion if you're using this material. Um, that said, I'm going to read yet a different passage in preparation, one that I think tries to capture all seven uh, themes together. And that is from me, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, and I start at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and with joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. I must say that when something like what happened to Lamb there happens, it kind of puts a whole lot of stuff into perspective. As it's happening, we realize it's time to pause. That's more important than anything we were going to do or say, right? And then I think, is it time to speak while well, all of you are thinking, you wonder how Lamb's doing? I think from what I saw that he left in reasonably fair condition, and so we will carry on. And then I realized that already in today's worship, I've had pointed out to me two things I've missed in my sermon, so it's going to be longer than it was, actually because there's a few things I need to add. So we're going to talk today about um, our relationship series. And the first question, of course, is do you have your place to discuss? Because it seems to me somewhat incredibly obvious that if we're going to have a series about relationships, we should do it in relationship. Fair enough? All right. So whether that's a small group or around your table at home or with some friends, however you do that, please, before this series is done, have talked about all these different kinds of relationships. There's going to be some tough stuff. We're starting in the foundation today which is our our relationship with god connecting with god right because clearly how we relate to god reshapes how we relate to everything and everybody else all right so we're starting in that foundational center place and today we are going to look at seven or possibly nine now um, paths places or patterns for our relationship with god one i obviously forgot and not surprisingly if you know me forgot was art dance, 
movement, all those kinds of things. You may know that I've done a lot of weddings this year. My claim to fame is I did not dance at one of them. I'm not against dancing. Dancing is against me. <laughs> Another one, of course, is suffering. We got brought into the presence of God quickly when Lamb fell. We get brought in the presence of God quickly when someone dies. Those of us who conduct funerals know we don't need a lot of introduction to get going in a funeral message. You know why you're there. We all know why we're there. We feel why we're there. And the power of that moment brings us into the presence of God. What we're talking about today are, are ways that we intentionally practice connecting with God. And some of these, most of these will be familiar, I'm sure. Some of these will be things that you say, yeah, that, right on, I, I'm with that one, I feel that one. Other ones will be ones where you go, yeah, I know that one, but that's, that's not me, I haven't been there yet. And so I'm going to challenge you to think those through, and at the end I am going to ask you which is your, your best, your first, your favorite, and which is your least likely Right, So as you pay attention, kind of rate them in your mind, go, yep, that's mine, and nope, that's definitely not mine, and so on. Okay. So first is natural revelation or creation. Clearly this is one of Renee's, because in her prayer she said, right, God, it's so easy to see you in the birds and, and those kinds of things, right? That just means that for you that's really easy, right? There are some of us who just kind of walk around in the world and, and are thinking about our stuff, and we don't see all the stuff that's around us. I've actually practiced due to somebody else's encouragement, sitting in one place for 20 minutes, staring at the same little piece of, of creation and realizing that every single minute I saw something that I had missed. Right? My other version of this is when I drive down the road, usually I'm driving, if I'm ever sitting in the passenger seat, I'm always amazed by all the things that I never see, even though I drive down some of these streets every single day. Right? So creation, just because you like walking, for example does not mean you're meeting God in creation. Creation, as natural revelation, is actually paying attention to and hearing the story and the sound and the music and the worship that comes from whatever it is in God's creation that you're looking at. Psalm 19 says it this way, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. Right? And so the psalmist here is talking about the sky, the heavens, and, and the stars, and, and the moon, and those kinds of things. I'm just going to take a little bit of a leap and assume that he also means every other aspect of creation, right? So whether you're a stargazer, right, or a forest walker, whichever works for you, right, they proclaim the work of God's hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and night after night, they reveal knowledge, right? It's actually a key foundational tenet of, of Reformed Christianity, of our brand of Christianity, if you will, that there's two books by which God speaks, the first one is the book of creation, the book of nature. And the second one is the special revelation of the Word of God, the Bible. All right? And we always hold those things in tension together. In fact, the reason we have Christian schools right down from, right from uh, junior kindergarten all the way through um, Ph.D. work, the reason we have Christian education institutions is because we believe that God speaks to us, that He teaches us through the world. Right? And so we don't just brush off science and say, you know, that has nothing to do with us. We believe in God. He's going to take us out of this world. We believe that God sometimes even corrects our understanding of Scripture 
by showing us what's going on in his world. Right? We do that carefully, we do that thoughtfully, but we do that kind of a thing. So, an easy one, because it's so long ago that it's incredibly obvious to us. The church interpreted the Bible a long time ago to say that the earth was flat. And while they're at it, at one point they said it had four corners, because the Bible said so, therefore it must be. Very good theological reading, based on the knowledge they had at the time, but when those crazy guys like Galileo and so on came along, they got in a lot of trouble. Right? Because they said, no, it's round. And then they said, it's actually the sun that's the center of the universe, not the earth. I know, crazy, eh? We all know that. That's just simple now. Right? But theology got changed by God revealing himself. Right? So, natural revelation, meeting God in nature and creation, is about paying attention to things like for me, do you know how many kinds of hostas there are? Right? There's not just one hosta. There's piles of hostas. Right? Or maybe you're a bird person, right? If you're a bird person, you recognize that there's species after species after species, and they have a different call and a different look and different colors and patterns, and you can find them in different places, all that kind of stuff. Right? Or maybe you like science. Maybe you like digging into how things work. Maybe you like biology, like human biology. This crazy thing we call a body is the most amazing thing in the world, right? My argument always against any kind of idea that we just happen to be in this whole world just happen to be is the human life because doctors, medical people, scientists can tell us how the body works, but they can't make one. Isn't that strange? So if you know how a car is made and you have all the material available to you, you could make a car, right? Obviously, we all have one. Most of us have one, right? But the human body, we have lots of them right here. We can study them. We've got books about how they work. We can explain all the systems. But nobody can make life. We can clone life. We can copy life. We can use life to make life. But we can't create this thing. And so when I wonder about life and about people, about minds, about relationships, about all the messy stuff of who we are and all the fascinating stuff of who we are. For me, that's one place in creation where I go, wow, God, you're amazing. Right? I recognize you in this. By the way, Romans, Paul in, the, in his letter to the Romans says, creation speaks so clearly that people are without excuse if they don't believe in God. Because you can't, with an open mind, Look at the world and not see that there's a God. That's the claim. And I think that's true. My sense is the reason people don't believe in God is the same reason all of us do rebellious things. We don't want our parents to tell us what to do. We don't want the church to tell us what to do. We don't want the government to tell us what to do. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. So we don't want God to tell us what to do. And if you're not going to listen to God, that's easier if he doesn't exist. A little simplistic, right? But that's kind of the dynamic we bump into. That's number one. There's seven, so you can keep score about how far we are. Second one is quiet contemplation. Often for people connected with their life in connecting with God in creation or nature. This is Mark chapter 1, talking about Jesus. Very early in the morning, and if I may give some context, he's just healed people and taught people and done all kinds of cool ministry stuff. 
While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Let me pause there for a second. Yesterday, during the worship gathering, teaching, whatever that thing was we did yesterday, it was good, I was in that back corner teaching about prayer and all the different prayer things that we do in this church around, around the worship service. And a couple of people, as we asked, they were giving testimony to their experience of how prayer worked. And two of them said, I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and I spend time with God, talking to Him and listening to Him. And I said, pray for me at that time because I'm sleeping. But these people gathered, it struck me, right? Obviously, if you're going to come to a seminar on prayer, you're probably a person who likes the connection in prayer, right? They love praying so much that they get up early, like I do on my day off to go play, right? You're thinking, man, I don't have to work today, so now you get up even earlier, that kind of thing. It's their strength place, is what they're saying. Look at his disciples, verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. In other words, they're saying, Jesus, why are you sitting here so quietly praying? There's work to do. All right? And most of us are, are wired that we don't need somebody else to tell us that. Isn't it true that often the biggest challenge to spending quiet, contemplative time with God is that we're kind of busy, which means we at least want to feel kind of important. And there's kind of all these other distractions and things going on. You know, right, our culture is designed on distraction. Everything we have in our world is designed on keeping you from pausing and thinking and simply spending time with God. Those of us who gather every other Wednesday evening, is it this week, Ben, or is it next week? This week. So this Wednesday, that's your invitation. Most often, the one thing we say, whatever else happens, is it's so nice just to sit here quietly. Because what we're admitting is we have to schedule it in. We have to get other people to sit with us and know that this is the time when we do this to do this. Because otherwise, we just keep running and doing our things because our relationships, our activities, and so on kind of grab our attention. And Jesus replies, All right, then let us go somewhere else. I love that, right? Jesus, there's all kinds of work to do here. And he's saying, I don't work for the people. I work for the guy I was just talking to, and he told me to go somewhere else. All right. If we're not spending time quietly listening to God, we're probably not hearing what he's telling us we're supposed to be about. Right? Number three, studying scriptures. This is in Luke 24, the story of the road to Emmaus, where Jesus, after his resurrection, right, is walking on the road to Emmaus, and these guys are walking along, and Jesus comes up alongside them, and he starts talking with them, and he says, where are you going, and what's happened, and what are you talking about? And they think, boy, this guy's crazy. How can he not know about the Jesus event, right? And then Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself I remember a colleague of mine preaching on this and saying man that verse is way too short anyone else would really like to know everything that jesus said about the old testament and how it applied to him that would be a really handy commentary to have and all we get is he just explained it which i think means 
that our task when we're opening Scripture is to look for Jesus. As my one seminary friend said, Jesus is under every rock in the Old Testament. You just got to go dig him up and find him. All right? And so part of the deal is many of us find Bible study boring, especially if you grew up in the church. That's this crazy thing, isn't it? The longer you've been with the Bible, it seems, the harder it is for us to realize there's still way more gold in there than you can imagine, right? And it's time to keep digging and looking and finding, right? But if Bible study or Bible reading becomes reading so that I get from verse 1 to verse 5 because that's my allotment for today, yeah, that's going to get old real quick, right? Nobody reads books that way. But if you're thinking, Jesus is in here, I'm going to find him. Sort of a where's Waldo. That might not help you, but if it does, right? Where's Jesus? Because all the scripture speaks to him. Where do I find him? How does it connect me with him? Further on, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When the scripture grab your passion, right? I got a way that I can probably help you with this if you struggle with this. You don't have to do this part of it, but if you do the stuff I do during the work to prepare for this, right? So pretend you're going to teach a passage of Scripture to somebody. Better yet, teach a passage of Scripture to somebody, right? Just say to somebody, I've been looking at the Scripture. I'd like to tell you about it. That process will get you so much farther in because as all teachers know, the best part of teaching is that you can learn a lot because in order to teach, you need to learn, right? So if you want to grow in this understanding and experience of that burning with Scripture, right? Wonder to yourself, what would I say about this passage to somebody else? And finally, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures, right? That basic, deep, foundational understanding of Scripture is simply this, that it's God's Word, so it's God's Spirit that shows you Jesus Christ in there. Which is sort of telling us that studying Scriptures is not a discipline that stands alone. It kind of goes with quiet contemplation. God, what are you saying to me? And why don't I look at this book? Or maybe that book in nature and allow both of them to speak to me. All right. Fourth one. 4A, sneaking in an eighth one. Christian community. We proclaim to you, this is 1 John 1, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And we fellowship, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. So, they're saying, the reason we're telling you about what's going on in our lives is so that you can become part of our community, right? But our community isn't just us. Our community is with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And key understanding here is, it's not enough that you hang around with some friends. That's not Christian community, right? That's community. That's not Christian community. What about your hanging around with friends, with community, brings you into the presence of God? That's the key question. All right. It struck me at the uh, memorial for Pete Adriance this week. I came as an outsider. I didn't know Pete. But I watched you as a community, those of you who were there, and saw that you were indeed a community. There was automatic connection among you and between you, right? And it struck me that there needs to be a conversation in those communities about 
What's God saying to us in this event and in this time? Right? Likewise, when we worship here, it's great watching people come in. Because most of you know somebody and you connect with somebody. If you're new, right? those of us who are in the foyer, we, we welcome you and we connect with you. And just to see people's lives kind of walk into each other. But we know, right, that it's not enough just that we like you and you like us and so we sit together. There's got to be the sense of somewhere in the equation God starts to move. And we know that this relationship's different than that relationship because God's in it, right? And I know that and I'm not giving you the three easy steps to make that happen because that's a relationship thing, right? That's a messy thing. That's a vulnerability thing. One of the regular comments in my session yesterday about prayer, all the different prayer ministries, was how do we get more people to come along, right? Need to know we're not the only church wondering that question. And we talked a bit about the fact that it takes a fair bit of vulnerability. Some of you have said to me, I want to go for prayer, but I know I'm scared. There's something holding me back, right? And that taking a relationship where you talk about sports or art or creation or something else and moving it to a place where you know God is moving. That's what this is about. And man, oh man, I wish I could just tell you, do this and in six seconds you'll have it. Because I want nothing more than all of you to experience that deeply and regularly, right? But know this at least. That's what we're striving for. If ever we are as leadership pushing you beyond your comfort zone, it's not just because I'm annoying, right? It's because we want to see you get to a place where you're beyond what's comfortable for you all by yourself in your natural sense, and you have to depend on the Spirit and land in His arms and allow Him to carry you. There's more to Christian community, and that's confessing community. Very same passage, 1 John 1 carries on. If we claim to have fellowship with Jesus, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So maybe I do have the answer. Isn't that handy? The answer to Christian fellowship is true confession, is honest vulnerability, being real. The great illusion that most of us walk around in is that what we keep on the inside nobody knows about, right? Most of us know by looking around that we know lots of stuff about people that they never told us. Our bodies say lots of things, right? The other side is we think that if we don't talk about it, it will go away. To quote a famous counselor, how's that working for you? True confession works best simply like this. I'm teaching a leadership course thanks to Beth Chisholm right now. And what we do there is we have people do what I call the sticky note exercise. I say, spend some time quietly before God and ask Him to reveal to you what's going on in your life. And then write down as fast as you can everything that comes to you. And put them all, each event on a sticky note and then organize them however you want to. And then the clincher, come back and tell us your story. Right? And... First, one of the first two who went, by the way, was Melissa, who's speaking next week. You're in for a treat next week. She's got a great story. She's preaching her testimony next week, and I've heard parts of it. And here's an honest, 
open person who has the same kind of crap going on in her past as you and I do, right? But she'll tell you how she connected with Jesus in that. That process, that openness, that vulnerability, that's what builds, if I may call it that, true community. Not people who happen to be in the same room together, but people who go, I've got your back because you've shown me your weakness and I know Jesus loves you and I love you and I'm going to be there for you. And then whole life worship. So, Ruthann's natural connection with God language is probably worship. Just a guess. And all of us are called to be part of a community that worships. But I want to talk also about the whole life worship part of it because it strikes me, again, that what we do here is meant to shape and be shaped by whatever else we do during the week. Right? So this is our formal worship time. This is our connecting with God time. But we're connected with God in our work, in our play, in our art, in our sports, in our relaxation, in our relationships, and all those things. Psalm 96, I believe this is, says, Sing to the Lord a new song. And that's not telling us that we're not allowed to sing the same songs week after week, that every time it has to be new. It's telling us... so. The psalmist, when he was writing a song, he was probably writing a psalm. And when he's writing a psalm, what he's doing is, I need to express today my relationship with God based on what I experienced in the last little while. That's why he wrote a psalm. So when he's saying to us, sing a new song to the Lord, what he's saying is, basically give testimony. Tell your story. Share with people when they ask you, how are you doing in the Christian community context? Share with them, this is what God's been saying to me lately. In fact, a way better question than how are you doing, because we all know how to say fine, is what's God been saying to you lately? All right? Practice that one right after worship today. There's going to be goodies so you can stay around extra long, right? Instead of how are you doing, try what's God been saying to you, right? Where have you seen God at work? What's Jesus been up to in your life, okay? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. That was my first clue that this isn't about a formal worship service only. Right? Every day. What we're doing here is reorienting ourselves. Right? We come to worship to reorient ourselves and realize, oh yeah, God is, God is here. God is my Lord. He's, he's forgiven me. He's charged me. He's sent me out for mission. And then day after day, it's our job to proclaim that in what we do and what we say and how we act and how we decide what we do with our money and all those kinds of things. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. Right? I'm sure I've said it before. The most important act of every single worship service is when you leave. All right? When you take this on the road and when you live it out. Whole life worship. And then number six, spirit-filled experience. I'm probably grabbing this one as my number one favorite. You don't have to, but I am. Um, Having a moment in my week or life or ministry when I know that God's Spirit is moving in that moment, that's what carries me day by day, right? And dumb as I am, I often go through weeks where I'm just doing my work as if ministry can be done by me anyways and not just pausing and going, God, how about you speak? How about you move? How about you take my hand, my heart, my head and move through that? 1 Corinthians 12. 
Now to each one of us, now to each one of us, that'd be all of us, the manifestations, the movement of the Spirit is given for the common good. All right? So this may not be your favorite, but it's there for you anytime you want. Right? Doors open. And then there's a list of all those gifts. And then the last verse, all these things are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Right? So it's going to be different for you, just like your top choice of ways to connect with God is going to be different from person to person. Your lease is going to be different from person to person. But all of you have a connection with God, and all of you have a best and a worst and a lease and all those kinds of things. I'll talk more about that one at the conclusion. Servant site. Number seven. Last but not least. Definitely not least. When you purchase another little ad here, those little tickets from regeneration, because when you stop coming off the 410 at Steels or somebody there with a sign asking for help, who do you see asking you for help? Because his name is Jesus. Her name is Jesus. If you can feel that truth, it completely reorients the way you see everyone you meet around you. So we are all gathered here as a Christian community. We're little Christs. We're going out looking for other little Christs because Jesus shows up, as it says in Matthew 25, in all of us. By the way, it makes me feel really heavy when that thing creaks every time I walk by. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, this is Matthew 25, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And they said, when in the world did we do that? And the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Right? So most of you get this really well, I find, and thank you for that. This summer, my friend from McCarty Court, Melissa, asked you or just told you that she knew someone who was having a baby who was coming out of a shelter, and we're still getting stuff. Please stop. It's great. We'll have another person at another time. We've got lots of stuff. Um, but the passion to step in and help somebody you don't know, you certainly don't know the mother, I don't even know the mother, and who we barely know, Melissa, a new member in our community. But we sensed as a community that this is a chance to see Jesus and to be Jesus all at the same time. That kind of neat mix, right? Finding opportunities to touch the lives of others, a place to serve, a place to be where you're bumping into somebody who is not like you. So I told you about making this table. Sermon by, um, yeah, that guy, Sid Hilema. Um, first they told us to take two pieces of pottery, tile. Thank you, tile's a word. I'll need a few more words for this one. Take a couple of pieces of tile and... Think about one as you and the other one as somebody who is other than you, right? The person who's different from you, the person who you don't get them because they're that different from you, right? And then our task as we made the table, the tabletop, was to take ourself and the other person and put them 
permanently glued into community together because that's who we are, right? We're this misfit group of people, all of whom are broken shards of clay. That comes from 2 Corinthians 4, I believe, right? And we are bound together as the body of Christ, like it or not, right? This is us. And when we see each other the way God calls us to, what we see, even in the brokenness, is Jesus. Right? So know this. Just by showing up here today, you're blessing somebody else because they're seeing Jesus in you. And strangely enough, the more you show your leastness to somebody else, the more you're showing them Jesus. Strange but true. I'm sure I've told you that before. I've been here long enough that I've probably told you everything I know already, so I can just always say I've told you this before. That when I pray with people and they receive healing and meet Jesus, they look more beautiful. It's the only way I can describe it. Because the truth and peace of Jesus has filled them more. Right? And know that when you're reaching out to somebody and serving them in whatever way you serve them, you're giving them a little bit more of the Jesus that came to die for them. And as you're giving that to them, you're increasing their Jesusness, the reflection of the image of God. Those are the seven. There are more, obviously. So I boiled them down to creation, contemplation, scripture, community, worship, spirit, and service. Three S's, three C's with a W in the middle. That helps you remember, because you know there will be a test, of course. Which is your primary and preferred? Which one of these? Yep, that goes for me. I know there's a lot of creation people here. Creation people, put up your hand. You know you're a creation person. Cool. All right, and I can do that for all of them. But Which is your least likely? Where are you going? I know I know. I should do that one. I've heard him talk about that. And sounds like it works for people, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't get that one, right? And now you think I'm going to be saying, well, just use your strong one and leave your weak one as long as you found your path, you're okay. You know me better than that. There's no way I'm going to say that. How about this? Use your first to get to your last, right? So my first, as I said, is an experience of the Spirit. I think my least is worship. Sorry. <laughs> if I didn't say that, she's going to say it anyways. So for me, because Ruthann will ask me, how was that song, and did you hear the drums, and did you hear this and that, and I'll go, hey, yeah, I got nothing. I was there, and I was singing. But what I'm doing is listening in whatever we're doing for when the Spirit is saying, by the way, I'm working right now on you, and I'm getting you ready for what you need to do, Right? So sometimes it's in the prayer room beforehand. Sometimes it's in the songs at the beginning of the service. But there's a moment at which my favorite part of connecting with God informs my least favorite part of connecting with God and says, pay attention. Right? So maybe your favorite is creation and your least favorite is scripture. Take your Bible and go sit in the woods or wherever it is that works for you and maybe read a bit. But let the two connect. Because the fact that God is all around you in creation and that works for you, especially if you start with Psalm 19, 
will really inform what you read as you read, right? Um, one more. Nope, I got no more, so I'm going to end there. Let's pray. Jesus, we're aware that you've called us to be here and that you want us to connect with you. And uh, through these and other means that you've put at our disposal, we pray that you would draw us closer to you. We pray that we'd be joyful in receiving that which comes most naturally to us, that we'd also challenge ourselves to also step into those places where we're stretched to experience you anew. And Lord, let us never forget that there is more and more and more and more and more of you to experience, that we've just begun. And so, because you can do immeasurably more than all we would ask or imagine, to help us grasp how long and wide and high and deep is your love. Help us to commit ourselves taking one more step today to connecting more deeply and experiencing you more fully. As we pray in your holy name, amen. We go with God's blessing. The Lord blesses you and keeps you. He makes his face shine upon you and is gracious to you. The Lord our God turns his face towards you and gives you his peace now and always. Amen.